All right, so today we're going to talk about being faithful in prayer, and we're going to look at Romans. It's <laughs> like in my nose. Now you can stand back. Okay, so Romans 12, 12. Be faithful in prayer. Martin Luther wrote, Even in the best of health, we should have death always before our eyes, so that we will not expect to remain on this earth forever but we'll have one foot in the air, so to speak. I really like that image of having one foot in the air, living here, but with our eyes fixed above on Jesus. We don't see him now while we're here on earth, so prayer is how we talk with him. But one day, we're going to see him face to face, and we're going to be able just to chat and talk together. Both of our feet will be off the ground and in glory when we see him face to face. For now, though, we're still here. One foot on the ground, always keeping that one foot in the air, knowing where we're going. And we need to be consistent and faithful in prayer because this is how we connect with God, how we talk with him. And I would like to open our time in prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. Would you pray with me? I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and your incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Thank you for the hope that you give us as we look to you. Amen. So when I pray scripture, it helps me focus on eternal values, power, eternity, sainthood, hope. And we know that prayer is our lifeline with our Heavenly Father. So we want to keep growing and developing in our prayer life. We want to talk with our Heavenly Father. And when we read this theme verse, be consistent or be faithful in prayer, how do we do that? What does that look like? And when I look through the Old Testament, I see that David prayed seven times a day, Daniel three times a day. We know that Jesus went off alone to spend time in prayer with his father, and the disciples, the apostles, got together to pray a lot. So be faithful in prayer. Faithful is to persist, persevere, continue in, be steadfast, wait upon. And a dictionary just describes prayer as a devout petition to God, talking to God. So no matter what translation you use for this be faithful in prayer, it seems very convicting to me and very overwhelming. So continuing steadfastly in prayer, be persistent in prayer, devoting yourselves to prayer, Pray at all times, continuing instant in prayer. And Paul writes about prayer again in Colossians 4, verse 2, where he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And in Ephesians 6, 18, 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So praying consistently is essential when we think about persevering in our lives of faith and in our ministries. And Paul reminds us of who is the one at work, because as we pray, we realize that the strength is of ourselves. We're very dependent on our Heavenly Father and on His power. So in my own walk with God and in my time with Him, it has changed through the years. I had it, I've had it at nighttime, I've had it in the mornings, I've had it in the afternoons. When my kids were little, I refused to call it a quiet time, <laughs> because if it was quiet, I was sleeping. And so I had loud times where I would have my kids do something else. I'd have my daughter on my lap, and I would do my prayer journaling and my Bible reading. So when we were in language school, we had class every day from like 8.15 to 12.15, and then we would pick up our kids, and we would get home, and there would be like lunch, playing with the kids, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, fixing dinner, getting the kids to bed. By the time the kids were in bed, I was, I was tired. And so I just wanted to do something to relax. And back in the day, there was one show on in English at night on our little television. It was a show that I would have never watched in America. It was like one of those prime time soap operas that came on at night. Some of you might remember this. Most of you probably won't, but it was called Falcon Crest. All right, so I mean, it was like, Boy, people's lives were so messed up. <coughs> Richard and Angela, there was just so much drama in these people's lives. So when I don't journal, when I don't write, and I pray in my mind, my mind, because I was thinking about Richard and Angela, I caught myself praying for Richard and Angela. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, their issues are overwhelming. You've got to be at work. You've got to intervene. And God's like, Sue, these people aren't real. You know, why are you praying for television characters? So it helps me to journal. Because I focus more, and I'm more intentional on the things that I'm praying for. And I don't pray for people that aren't real. Now, journaling is not for everyone. Not everyone journals. But it has been something in my life that has helped me to concentrate, focus, and pray. And one of the things I really like is having this written history. I have all these different books, and I can go back, and I can pick those up, and I can look and remember different ways that God intervened, things that I probably would forget as I get older, but there's that written record of things that I've written down that God has done for me. 2019 was probably one of the most challenging years of my life. Um, I, we found out that we had to move unexpectedly. My mom got very sick. That's when I broke my arm and my leg. My mom passed away. I went through all the physical therapy. It was just a horrendous year, and yet I have that journal of how God met me time and time and time again. My journals are not anything dynamic. Nobody is going to want to print those when I'm gone. So, I mean, it is how I talk to God. There's nothing deep. 
Well, there are a few things deep because I quote people in there, like different quotes that are meaningful to me. I'll put those in the front of my journal or the back of my journal. But I remember just, I don't know, it was a discouraging time, and somebody told me what really helped them was to just make a list of everything that they're thankful for, and it just lifts your spirit, right? And so I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I list everything in my journal that I'm thankful for, and then I remember writing, well, that didn't work. (laughs) So nobody's going to want to print these when, when I'm gone. There's nothing... But it is my conversation with God. It's how God wired me. It's my conversation with him. And just that written record of God's faithfulness is so meaningful. So I have journaled in different ways. My journal keeps evolving. This was my journal when my arm was broken. Short prayer times with journaling anyway. More more other uh, praying, not just journaling. Um, I've tried having prayer lists where you kind of write things down and then you put the date when it's answered. But when you intersperse those with prayers that are ongoing, I found it very frustrating and very hard for me to, to just manage. And so I have these various layouts that I've used through the years that's been really helpful. And so I, I think that's a good thing, right, that we keep growing, we keep changing, we keep trying to find things that are meaningful and that work for us. Um, I read, I knew that I want to keep, de- you know, developing in my prayer life, and so I read two books about prayer. The first one is called The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Ortberg. I had always wanted to read a book about spiritual disciplines, but I felt very intimidated by the words because it has discipline in there, and spiritual. It's like, oh man, you put those two together, it's going to be hard. But when I read the subtitle about ordinary people, I'm like, I'm in. I can read this one. And so I made a commitment to myself that I would read a chapter, and I would not let myself go to the next chapter until I applied something from the chapter I just read. So this chapter that I had read was on prayer, and I was actually feeling pretty happy, and content with my prayer life, but I knew that I wasn't allowed to go to the next chapter until I put something into practice. And so in that book, he had a prayer review, and he said what, what you do is you, you pray like normal, and then you want to review how it goes. Because he said in the book, sometimes people fail to learn more about prayer because they don't reflect on what actually happens when they pray. So this is what I did on the prayer review. So everybody's going to get a copy of this in case it's something that you want to do so you don't have to like try to write all these things down or anything. But I was supposed to pray and then take three or four minutes and just answer these questions. So how did the prayer get started? Were you aware of God's presence or was there a sense that you were simply thinking by yourself? Did any parts of the prayer seem especially alive as you prayed? Did you have times of strong conviction or emotion? And if so, what were they? Did they seem to be moving you closer to God or further away? What difficulties did you encounter? Did you feel tired or bored or experience other barriers? Did you find your mind wandering? And if so, to what? What were you praying over when this happened and how did you respond? Did you have any sense of being called to respond or carry out some action? If so, what was it? 
What was the general tone of your prayer? Warm and loving, difficult or painful, dark, reassuring, sobering, foggy? So I did my prayer review, and the thing that struck me is that I was in a rut. I had been doing the same kind of journaling, the same kind of praying for so long that I kind of forgot who I was talking to. It was like I could do this without reminding myself that I was in the presence of a holy God, and he was my lifeline. You know, it was more of a a routine. And I thought, okay, something needs to change. And because I knew I needed to change, that led me to a second book that I read, and it's called Praying with Paul, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by D.A. Carson. And as, this was one of those books that I started to read, and it's like there was so much to process that I needed people to talk with about it. And so in our organization, we had a book club so that we could read some sections, and then we'd talk about it together, about what does this mean, and how do we apply it, and what are you going to do? And I just found that so helpful. And as a result of those two books and my own prayer review, I came up with three major changes that I did in my prayer journal. One of the things I've done is I have written out um, some of the prayers of Paul in the back of my prayer journal. So today when I was praying for my children and my grandchildren and my coworkers and other people that I pray for every day, I start by reading different prayers of Paul. And this is the one I read today. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I find that when I start with a scripture, my prayers for my people are much more meaningful, they're deeper. I still pray for the other things, like the kids when they're in school, Um, I pray for my grandchildren, that if God wants them to marry, that they'll meet the right person, that if he wants them to remain single, that he would be their all-sufficiency. And even if they're married, they still need to have Jesus as their all-sufficiency. And I still pray things like that in general. But boy, when I pray for their love to abound, it's just I just feel like it's a deeper type of intercession. And so having those prayers to turn to has really changed how I pray. I also began starting my prayers with either a psalm or another passage that describes the character of God. And I intentionally spend the first time of my journaling and who am I talking to? He is my rock, he's my fortress, he's my stronghold. However the psalm or passage of scripture describes him, and it just makes me aware of whose presence I'm in. I've also been more intentional in confession and thinking through attitudes, thoughts, actions. For a long time, I could go for a long time without confessing anything because I wasn't being reflective. Other people could have probably pointed things out to me had I listened, but sitting down and thinking, oh, I really responded poorly to that or I was talking with her and I was talking too much. I was talking about myself. I wasn't listening. I was self-focused. That was really judgmental. That was a judgmental thought you had. And just trying to be, spend time thinking about things I've done 
And that reminds me of my utter dependence on the Holy Spirit and on God. So spending more time in confession has been rejuvenating to my life because I'm aware more and more of how much I need Jesus. So I don't always journal when I pray. Um, I've prayed uh, taking a shower, while walking, while eating. One of my favorite things now, and I didn't used to do this, but I'll be walking and I'll see a cute dog or a pretty flower, and I'm like, God, that is just so cute. Thank you for making that. Just trying to be more aware of my surroundings and just little bits of conversation with him. Ever since my broken arm and my broken leg, whenever I see anybody with a cast, a cane, a wheelchair, it's like, God, bring healing, bring encouragement, bring refreshment to them, trying to just look to God for everything as I walk and depending on what I see. Um, Sometimes when I don't think I have the strength to do something, I don't have a long prayer. It's an, oh, help me, God, prayer. And... um, When I was at my mom's funeral, I didn't want to go see her body for the last time. And I I remember standing out in the hallway and saying, oh, God, help me. Help me. And he did. I've had longer sobbing sessions. I don't know if there is a spiritual discipline called sobbing prayers, but (laughs) uh, just feeling bewildered, discouraged, incapable. I've had quite a few of those as a mother. And I've had quite a few of those as a cross-cultural worker. And I remember our team was going through a, we were going to have to do a confrontation. And it was with one of my best besties. And I remember in the shower just weeping and saying, Jesus, I can't do this. I, I hate confrontation. I can't do this. And yet God gave grace and it ended up to be a wonderful Wonderful time of forgiveness, confrontation, wholeness. But it was because of prayer, because God intervened. There were times that I prayed out of obedience and not because I wanted to. And there were times when prayer times were cut short because I fell asleep. (laughs) My husband's not here, so I can tell you this. One time he fell asleep in the middle of praying. Like, I was waiting for him to finish the sentence, and it never did. <laughs> I forgot this was recorded. I won't tell him that they're recorded. <laughs> that doesn't happen often. Um, one of the things I like about John Ortberg's writings is he said, if you don't feel like praying, talk with God about it. <laughs> and I've done that. Like, God, I really don't want to talk to you right now. I feel really busy. And, but you know why I don't want to talk with you? I'm finding I'm a little bit mad at you about that. And I end up like, it's praying. Right? And I just, I like that. And sometimes I knew I needed to pray and I didn't. And sometimes I just didn't know how to pray. My heart was so heavy, I didn't know what to ask for. And I'm really thankful for what Paul wrote in Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I am just so grateful that he prays for me in accordance with the will of God. I wonder if there's any believer in Jesus who is content with their prayer life. 
and then I wonder if they should be. You know, I don't, I'm not there yet. I don't know if there's a place where you get where you're really content, but I know that I want to keep working and I want to keep developing my prayer life. And I think one of the ways we can do that is by learning from other people. And one of my uh, favorite characters is Nehemiah. And when you read through Nehemiah, you see how prayer was a consistent part of his life. So we're just going to take a little bit of time and look at the life of Nehemiah and how he prayed and when he prayed. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, we find out that Nehemiah got some bad news and he prayed. Nehemiah 1.4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So he hears bad news and he prays. But one of the things I want to take note of is how long he mourned, how long he was sad. And I think that I am too quick to move on from sadness. It doesn't feel to me like sadness is a spiritual place to be. And as I have been learning to be a more reflective person and trying to think about it, I think I need to sit in my sadness a little more. I think I need to recognize and acknowledge when I'm feeling sad. And I just love that Nehemiah did that, that he mourned for several days. So scripture has a lot of examples of lamenting. And I attended a webinar about dealing with loss and grief. And the facilitator of that webinar gave us 20 minutes to write a lament. Now, I have never officially lamented before, and I wasn't exactly sure what this was going to look like, but I had 20 minutes. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, I'm supposed to lament. I don't have anything to lament. This is going to be a long 20 minutes. And then this thought came to me about how much I hated masks. And so I started out with, I hate masks. I hate COVID. And I, words that I did not know, feelings I did not know I had, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote about all of the things that COVID stole from me, opportunities that I was going to have, coffee with friends, being stuck in my home for months, that kind of thing. And I mean, it was just, and I didn't know it was there because I had never taken the time to mourn. I never took the time to acknowledge the grief and write it out. And when I read this about Nehemiah, when he heard the bad news, he took that time to lament and mourn. So when we hear bad news, let's not rush from the sadness. Let's acknowledge that sadness. 
And you can lament whether it's official or not. However God leads you to deal with that sadness. Nehemiah also prayed before replying to the question the king asked him because he wanted to answer wisely. I tend to be an external processor, so people can ask me a question and I can just start talking right away and it would be really good for me if I would pray before I answered the question. So the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So Nehemiah saw a direct correlation between the time he spent in prayer, the time he answered the question. He also prayed when he faced opposition from enemies. In chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, he says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They prayed and they planned and they prepared. He also prayed when he did what was right and it cost him. He wanted to serve God and he denied himself what was his due because of his reverence for God. I think this is such a beautiful example of generosity and wanting to honor God and his resources. He said in Nehemiah 5, 14, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors placed a heavy burden on the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like this. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. So he was willing to give up present gain for eternal glory. He wasn't looking to people to say, thanks so much for being generous. Remember me, O oh God, for what I have done. He was looking to please God in how he used his resources. He also prayed for strength when, he was, when the whole nation was being persecuted, frightened, and feeling weak. In Nehemiah 6, it says, Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand an unsealed letter in which was written, It's reported among the nations that you and the Jews are plotting revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, you are about to become their king, and it even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up in your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love that he knew what the threat was. They're thinking that their hands are going to be too weak. And what did he pray for? Lord, strengthen our hands. So he knew what the danger was. He knew what could happen. And that's exactly what he prayed for. And he also prayed when he was facing fear and intimidation, not from those outside his people, but from his fellow countrymen and the prophets. 
It wasn't always his enemies who were against him. In Nehemiah 6, we read that one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him. He had been hired to intimidate me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, prophet Noadia, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. The sentence that struck out to me in that passage was, should a man like me run away? So as a person of faith, how do I respond to fear? Not just fear of circumstances or other people, but maybe my inner fear of the will of God. What if his will is something I don't like? I have wanted to run away from God because I was afraid of what his will was going to be. But as a person of faith, I have to ask myself, should a woman like me run away? So I want to start this. It's a 30-year-old story, but I want to preface it with the fact that I acknowledge I am a wimp, but I am also a pessimistic one. Just so you know, other people could have gone through this without going where I took it. All right? Um, but I'm hardly ever sick. And so I got this. Um, we didn't find out till a, lot, a long time later that it's called cytomegalovirus. It's like similar to Epstein-Barr, mono, that kind of thing. But nobody could figure it out at the beginning. So I was feeling sicker and sicker and sicker. And the doctors kept running all these tests. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so I became convinced that I was going to die. And I did not want to die. I didn't want God's will because he wanted me to die. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to see my children grow up. I wanted to meet my grandchildren. And I did not want Don to marry anyone else. (laughs) Because I was afraid that he would like her better than me. Don and I have had discussions since this time, and I told him I'm fine if he remarries, but there are two rules. The first one is he can never say, I've never been happier. (laughs) And the second rule is he has to be sad for at least a year. I said, other than that, you're free. Anyway, so I was just, I didn't want him to marry somebody else because I just thought, boy, he's just going to like her a lot more, and I just couldn't handle that. So I had been... I had been praying for a husband for my single friend, and now I was afraid that the answer to my prayer would precipitate my own death. (laughs) I would die, and the husband that I had been praying for her was going to be mine, so I stopped praying for her. Because I thought it was going to precipitate my imminent departure from this world. So whenever I would lie down at night, I don't know why it was always at night, but that's when maybe the fears come rushing in. And I would say, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't. If it's your will, I don't want it. And just this consistent running away from God because I thought I knew what his will was going to be and I didn't want it. 
<laughs> you know, I was afraid God wouldn't listen to me. So you have this, I don't, what, like a tug of war with God. I don't want your will, but I, I know you do what you do, but I don't want that. So at my at the my worst point, we were visiting family, and I had to stay home from church because I just I couldn't go, and I was in bed, and again I was mentally running from God, telling him that I I think I know what your will for my life is, and I don't want it, and I was feeling sick, I was feeling tired, but not only from the illness, but it's really hard to fight with God. It's really hard to keep running from him. And I was tired of running. I was tired of fighting. And I knew in, this, in the deepest part of my soul that his will was good. His will was better than anything that I could try to plan or control. And as I wrestled with him on the bed, I said, um, okay, I'm done struggling. I'm done running away. I know your will is going to be better. You can take me now. So I thought I should let God know I was sincere. So I strike a burial pose (laughs) on my bed. And I'm kind of laying like this. And I have my eyes closed. And I'm just waiting. And I don't know how long I, I stayed like that, but I eventually peeked. I opened my eyes and I peeked, and I was still in the room. And for the first time, I thought, maybe it isn't God's will for me to die. I have been wasting all this energy running and running and running because I thought I knew what it was and I didn't want it. And then there was just this sweet surrender of, I know your will is better. And that's what I want because I love you more than life. I want your will more than I want my own. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. And it was such a peaceful moment. And it wasn't like there was immediate healing at all. It took a lot of time. But there was a change in who I thought God was. There was a change in who I knew I was. There was this expectancy that God loved me and had a good will for me, and I wasn't running anymore. I wasn't running from him. I was running to him. When I am afraid, I remind myself that his will is good, and I don't know what it is. Sometimes he doesn't show me, but he leads me step by step, and I can trust him wholeheartedly. Whatever you're afraid of today, whether you're facing threats from outside or if you have inner fears that you're dealing with, as people of faith, let's follow Nehemiah's example. Should a woman like you run away? And finally, he prayed as he finished his work and he left it and his life in God's hands. In Nehemiah 13... Verses 14 and 22, he says, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have done so, what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Then I commended the Levites to purify themselves and to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. So basically, as we read through the book of Nehemiah, we see a man who is consistently, constantly praying with whatever he was facing 
whatever he was dealing with, his first response was to pray to God. And I love that example. And I think that's one reason he could keep working through all the setbacks, through all the fear, through all the discouragement. Can you imagine leading all the different kinds of people that he led to all work together, the perfume makers, the pre... I mean, it was just a phenomenal group of people, but because of prayer and perseverance and keeping his eye on the goal, he got everyone to work together to rebuild the walls. And he was doing this because of who God is and because of that eternal perspective. If he was looking for earthly gain, he could have stayed in Susa, right? But he heard about this opportunity, and he went, and he prayed, and he (laughs) persevered. So we're to be faithful in prayer. And I really want to follow Nehemiah's example. And so I just put these different main points up here about Nehemiah. So have you heard bad news recently, and have you taken the time to mourn? What What challenging questions are hard for you to answer? What kinds of opposition are you facing? How has it cost you to do the right thing? Are you being persecuted? How are you handling that? What are you afraid of? What intimidates you? What makes you want to run away? Are you close to finishing your work? What are your burdens? What do you want God to remember you for? We pray consistently. I'm going to quote Billy Graham. This is one of, I, yeah, I just found this. I'd never heard him say it. We are to pray in times of need, times of adversity, lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. We are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. Praying consistently, no matter what our circumstances are. We are also to pray for and with each other. Um, Last month, my sister got a cancer diagnosis, and I was sharing about this with my friend, and I was telling her that she was going to be having surgery, and my friend said, what day is her surgery? And she got out her phone, she got out her calendar, she wrote my sister's surgery date. There was just something in me, was like, somebody is praying with me for my sister. The day of my sister's surgery, she texted me. She goes, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of your sister. Let me know how it goes. What time is her surgery? And when you have somebody who loves you and prays with you for things like that that are just heavy, I was just so touched and so moved by her friendship that she would be willing to do that with me to lift my sister up. And prayer should be our first consideration in everything. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too big. There's whatever, when something seems too big, we bring it to God. If it seems like, well, God, I know you're busy running the world, but there's this donut moment I'm wanting, you know, and God's like, he's got this, and we can talk with him about everything. I had a situation recently, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was weighing heavy on me, and I started thinking, okay, who can I get input from? I need, I need some people. I need to talk about this. And I actually started making a list of people that I wanted to connect with and talk with. And you know, God was not on my short list. And I sat there after looking at these names of people, and I think it was reading something in Scripture, and God's like, hello, you know, I can do something about this. And I'm like, oh, you should have been first. You should have been first. So making sure that God is on our short list. 
I don't want to go to people first. I want my first impulse to be to pray and to look to God. So I would like to ask us to be committed to develop our prayer life. And so there's some options for what to do. So one of the things I'm doing next year is I heard about this new book. If you've read it and you want to tell me a little bit about it, I'd love to hear. But it's called Dangerous Prayers Because Following Jesus Was Never Meant to be Safe. What I would love to do, if you're interested in doing like a book club with me or like setting up a time that we can Zoom and discuss it, there is a sign-up sheet back on the Lost and Found table. And just put your name and email address and I'll uh, get in touch with you because I love talking about this stuff with people. So if that's something of interest to you, then sign up for that. Or if you know another prayer resource, another book that's meant a lot to you, this is an area that I want to keep growing in. So any resources you can give me, I would love it. So reading books about how to pray. Um, Do the prayer review. Have your normal time of prayer. Do the review. See what God points out to you. I would encourage if you have a journal or if you don't have a journal, if you have paper, um, the back of your hand, (laughs) write out some of these prayers of Paul. If you do a Google search and you do prayers of Paul, there's this one guy, I think his name's Kevin, he has them all listed online, and you can just copy and paste them. That's just made my life richer, praying scripture. Attempt journaling. If you've never tried it before, give it a whirl. See what will work. But don't, like, try just one way. Try all different ways. I am not artistic at all. Um, but for my year 2019, I did a journal talking about how God always goes ahead of us, and I used art. It's, it's like a little Picasso-ish, but it's um, <laughs> art. And as I finished that journal, I thought, you know, what can I do with this journal? Because it was extremely meaningful to me. And I gave it to my granddaughter, Olivia as part of my gift to her that God goes ahead of her. And I, I hope God uses that, and she keeps it on her shelf, and she brings it out when she gets nervous about the future because God goes ahead of us. Use art, do drawings, do whatever artsy people do um, to just whatever speaks to you. Some people love connecting with God in nature. When I get out in nature, I'm like, I don't like bugs. I'm afraid there's a bug. And I don't know if anybody here can top this, but I have been pooped on by a bird on four different continents. And, and one time I was inside. So nature and I were not real close. I, I mean, I like walking in it if there's nothing green around it. But if nature's your thing, then get out in nature and walk and enjoy it and pray. Spend that time praying. You may have other ways that you have found that helped develop your prayer life. Again, I'd love to hear about those. I think we are each other's good resources for how God's been at work in us. Don't give up. Keep praying. This is a picture of me and my mom. Okay, I came to know Jesus when I was 13, and she was not a believer at that point in time, and so I started praying for her, and, you know, you pray for something for a long time, and you don't see anything, and you give up, 
And so then I would like pray for a while and I'd give up and then, you know, I'd be in a meeting and people would talk about how God answers prayer. So I'd start praying for her again. And I tried to witness to my parents. I wasn't very good at it. But there were two things that I remember doing. One thing I did was when I left for school in the morning, I left my Bible open to 1 Thessalonians 4 so that if Jesus came back and I didn't come home, they would know where I was. <laughs> I don't know if she ever noticed that, but it was something I thought about. I thought, well, I don't want them to worry. If Jesus comes back, I'm going with him. And if I leave that open, they'll read that and know where I'm at. The other thing I did, our house was on a corner, and my mom was really nice, and she didn't want me to have to wait for the bus outside too much. So she would stand here and see the bus coming, and I would be at the other door, and she would say, the bus is coming, and I'd say, okay, and then I'd leave. Well, this one day I was feeling, like, really brave, and so my mom comes in, and I said, so, Mom, when are you going to get saved? And she says, I'm not ready yet. And I go, well, you don't have forever, and I ran out the door. <laughs> yes, ding, ding, ding. So that was my evangelistic technique. <laughs> Um, and as time passed, my parents started coming to church more often. And there was one night, there was a movie called Thief in the Night, which is an old Billy Graham movie about Jesus coming back. And I watched that movie, and I thought, man, if I didn't know Jesus, this would be it. And I waited, and I waited expectantly, because the pastor, after the movie, he said, whoever wants to come to know Jesus, come forward. Where is she? Where is she, you know? And she didn't come forward. And I, like... I was devastated because I thought this would be it. And I went up to an elder, Mr. Anderson, who's now in glory. And I said, Mr. Anderson, it's never going to happen. And I'm crying on his shoulder. And he's like, you keep praying. You keep praying. So the next week, we had a singing family at our church. And my parents came for that. And I sat there and I thought, oh, man, this is a waste. I don't know. I wasn't impressed with the singing family. And I thought, um, if last week didn't do it, the singing family definitely isn't going to do it. And so I wasn't even looking when the pastor gave the altar call, and my mom came to know Jesus that night because of the singing family. And I love singing families now, and I feel really bad that I was feeling not so merciful or kind towards them. But God used that beautiful singing family to lead my mom to Jesus and I found out that night that my dad had trusted Jesus when he was a little boy so God uses different things to bring different people to Jesus many people prayed for my mom and today my mom's with Jesus and about a month before she died she said somebody asked her are you afraid she said no I'm not afraid because she'd come to know Jesus be faithful in prayer don't give up Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful because you have hope, rejoice in hope. Be patient, endure when trouble comes in suffering, tribulation, and pray at all times, faithfully, with persistence and perseverance. One foot on the ground, one foot in the air. Let me close our time with a prayer from Colossians chapter 1. Would you pray with me? We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, 
bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.